Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Corumbus and Jim Garrity. And my name's Greg Knapp. You find out more about me and get a free gift at GregoryBnapp.com. Gregory B is in boy, K-N-A-P-P is in Peter and Peter. Also have a new podcast out on Apple Podcasts. Just search my name, Gregory Knapp. It's Find Your Purpose, Live Your Passion. And I'm joined by Jim Garrity, the senior political correspondent of National Review. Twitter handle, at Jim Garrity. He would love for you to follow him there. And this is the Three Martini Lunch. We'll start with the good. And it's kind of like a mix, Jim. It's a bad to good, right? Because what started out was Colin Kaepernick. You may remember him of the NFL. He was a quarterback for a while there. Now he's become a political activist. And he seems to find racism behind every bush because he came out against Nike's new shoe. It's the Betsy Ross shoe being debuted for July 4th week. And on the back, it has the Betsy Ross flag, the 13 original colonies flag. And Colin Kaepernick says, oh, no. Hey, Nike, this is offensive. This has slavery connotations. Don't do it. So Nike pulls the shoe. Now Arizona Republican Governor Doug Ducey is saying, oh, yeah? Well, then we're going to pull incentives for Nike here in Arizona. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, I'm really kind of baffling to see. The fun question from this is really who's running Nike now? Is it Phil Knight? Is it the CEO? Or does Colin Kaepernick now get to veto any major decision from them? Uh, Citing sources familiar with the matter, it was the Wall Street Journal, the first report of this, said that Kaepernick contacted Nike officials and told them that he and others are offended by the flag because it dates to the late 18th century, a period of widespread slavery in the United States. That is true. I assume they pay him you know, in a variety of formats, but eventually he uses money. That money has George Washington on it. He owns slaves. You know, that, that anything from before slavery must be eradicated from our, our history and our discussion. So up folks say, well, you know, now the, the original flag of 13 stars has been adopted by white supremacist groups and people who think the country, like all of a sudden, any group that claims to be hateful of white supremacists gets to adopt a symbol. Remember all of a sudden right. the, the, the okay hand signal suddenly was argued to be a symbol for white power. Now people have been saying, hey, okay, with making the little, you know, thumb and uh, pointy finger sign for years, decades. Now all of a sudden, because one group adopts it, we can't use it anymore. Probably saying, Jim, why is this a good martini? Well, Doug Ducey, uh, the governor of Arizona announced that uh, they were supposed to be making a, announce a, a major Nike investment in Goodyear, Arizona. And he said, because of this, he said, you know what? This is a shameful retreat for the company. American businesses should be proud of our history, not abandoning it. Nike has made their decision. Now we're making ours. I've ordered the Arizona Commerce Authority to withdraw all financial incentive dollars under the discretion that the state was providing for the company to locate here. America's, Arizona's economy is doing just fine without Nike. We don't need to suck up to companies that consciously denigrate our nation's history. Now, Greg, I'm going to observe here. I'm not a big fan of corporate welfare in any, in any format. So now right. the fact that you're taking away corporate welfare from a company that has done something that strikes me as asinine, Greg, this is a win-win. There you go. I, I was wondering where you're going with that because I was thinking a couple things with this. Okay, first of all, Colin Kaepernick, not everything is about you, all right? And not everything is about race. Not everything is about slavery. The 13 original colonies were breaking away from England. By the way, slavery was taking place while England was in control, right? So this is just starting a new nation. It's not about slavery. It's about our history. And you know what? When they say that Kaepernick and these lefties don't like the Betsy Ross flag, well, a lot of them don't like the current American flag. 
So I don't know how far you go with that, but it's about time people just start saying, you know what, dude, everything is not about you. So Nike, like you said, ridiculous to pull this shoe. I wonder how much money they lost on that, but I'm sure somebody's telling them, Jim, hey, you're going to get so much backlash from the social justice warriors and Twitterverse that it's going to make your head explode. And it's this outsized weight that the yeah. Twitterverse and these lefties are getting now. If you get a few thousand people to make enough noise, we act like that's everybody and, and people collapse and cave in. So I think that's bad. And your point about getting rid of corporate welfare, I love, but here's the other question, Jeff, you got what's going on in Georgia. They passed their law about abortion and all of a sudden Hollywood says, we're not going to do shows there. North Carolina that did something about transgender bathrooms and people want to pull what's going to go there. And then we fire back by saying, Oh yeah, well, we're not going to do this. Is that really good for our economy and good for our nation? No, look, this is obviously a, an attempt, you know, but we're seeing in, in Georgia uh, with the threat of the Netflix ban and things like that is an attempt to influence behavior in a state-like manner without using the state. The idea that, sure, you could pass whatever laws you want, but we will get big companies to then say, we won't do business in your state. Um, you saw a similar case in New York State attempting to uh, pressure banks to no longer handle the accounts of the National Rifle Association and firearms manufacturers. It's interesting because you know, my colleague, Michael Brendan Doherty, had the sharp observation. It's weird how these iconic American brands routinely express contempt for the working of America and American democracy, yet humbly submit to the dictates of the Chinese regime. And it's worth like there's a really good context to put in, you know, contrast to put here. Kevin Williamson, my colleague at National Review, wrote about this one. We're fairly recently one of the uh, artists who was being uh, commissioned by Nike for a project expressed some criticism of the Chinese government. The Chinese government said, nope, you're no longer doing anything. And Nike squashed the project. Wow. In other words, you know, so basically, basically the short answer is when the Chinese government tells Nike to do something, you know what they do, Greg? They do it. They just do it. There yeah. you go. I like it. No, you're right. And and it's it's the same thing with Colin Kaepernick wearing a Che Guevara shirt. <laughs> as yeah, if, you know, as if oh, that I, was I, freedom I, I, and liberty, slavery, but a police state. I'm fine. Right. I'm, I'm also vehemently opposed to police and brief, police brutality. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It really makes you wonder if we're teaching anything in school anymore. Okay, so that's martini number one, and let's move on to number two, and it's a crazy one. We've got the new polling out. CNN is showing we got 20 people who were on those stages last week for the Democratic debates. Ten of them. 10 of them polling at under 1%. What happens to them next? Yeah, there, there's a lot of, you know, you're starting to hear a lot more open grumbling that it's time for those, uh, those who are at 1% or less to get off the stage. Having just done some deep digging into uh, Marianne Williamson yesterday, I don't know about you, Greg, I want to keep her on that stage as long as possible. It's uh, all about love, like, baby. It's all about nuts, love. But I find her kind of charming. Uh, <laughs> I, I just got to... You know, every every time she speaks, I lean forward just out of it. Uh, but you're starting to see folks like Jim Manley, who was a, an aide for Ted Kennedy for a long time, telling the Washington Examiner, these are vanity projects and they should go. And look, that was the CNN poll that had 10 of them. Uh, USA Today and Suffolk have a new poll. It just came out as you know, right before we started taping this podcast, Greg. Biden 24, there's a national poll. Biden 24, Harris 16, Warren 13, Sanders 9%. I mean, he's really kind of, you know, slipping pretty fast. Budet Edge at 6%, Booker at 2 Klobuchar at 2 everybody else is at 1% or less. And remember, we're starting to get towards that window where you have to start getting 2% to qualify for the September and October debates. Uh, mm -hmm. So it really is turning into crunch time for some of these candidates. I do think it's somewhat, you know, in that category, 
You've got Julian Castro, the lone uh, Latino candidate in there. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, who I remember the Vogue pieces talking about her being the next big, hot, big thing. Hickenlooper just had several staff members uh, announce their leaving, so he might be on the way out. Bill de Blasio, uh, Gabbard, folks who you figured could get that 2 3 4% threshold, still struggling here. And I think it's just kind of an interesting indicator that uh, I've been saying all year long that this was, you know, too big a field, that it was going to be chaos, chaotic debates, that you really can't hold a good debate with 20 candidates. And even if you split it into 10, you know, we've seen the results of that one. Uh, you know, I, I do think the fact that you know, the, the asterisks really are turning into asterisks. And I think it's going to be, uh, uh, we may see this field thinning a great deal. But I think it's just amazing. You know, and it's not like these folks haven't been running for, you know, several months now. That's a good point. They've been running. And I think what it really boils down to, Jim, is you have to be known nationally before you run mm-hmm. or you've got to do some serious legwork to get your name out there quick because otherwise you're going to be in this position. I mean, Trump had his name. He had his reality show. He had his books. He had his Trump towers and all these other things. So people knew him. But when you see somebody like Yang, who is an entrepreneur, probably a very successful dude, nobody knows who the heck he is. And, and these governors from some of the more uh, less populated states how are you going to get up to the numbers you need as quickly as you need to be part of the real discussion? And I, I think the way we run for president right now, you better be known nationally before you jump in. Yeah. And if there's a theme that ties together our two crazy martinis of the day, Greg, it's that, look, when you become an elected official, whether you like it or not, you end up living in a bubble. I, I know they, oh, no, I know how people really live. No, look, you, you inevitably, the moment you assume any position of power, People start coming to you, you know, looking for favors. People want to suck up to you. People want to be nice to you. People want to be on your side. They want to give you a donation. You know, inevitably, you begin to lose touch with reality as it is lived for vast majority of Americans. This is almost an inevitable psychological situation. It's really tough to remain down to earth and connected to the average person when you're in that situation. So I think you should have a, a small smidgen of sympathy for these people in this situation. But that, keeping that in mind, this means that they're constantly surrounded by people who tell them any idea that pops into their head is a brilliant one. <laughs> and of course, sir, yes, you should. You know. So when they say, hmm, I'm Julian Castro, I'm a former human health and human services secretary, former mayor of San Antonio. Back in 2012, I gave the keynote address at the Democratic Convention, and I'm Clearly, the, the people are yearning for me to be president of the United States. There's no one around Julian Castro to say, eh, everybody's forgotten who you are. Nobody cares who the HUD secretary is. There's no one around Bill de Blasio to say, this is a terrible idea. The trains in New York City still aren't running. You're still in, you know, there's nobody around these people to say, this is a bad idea. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody cares who you are. Nobody cares what you've done um, in Washington State, Jay, Jay Inslee. You're going to get up on that stage. You're not as charismatic as you think you are. You're not as charming and instantly lovable as you think you are. It's not going to turn out well. And all of these political figures run around believing, I can do it. I can overcome the odds. I've overcome the odds all this way. And, uh, you know, then they slam face first into reality. I think it's a super point that as soon as you become even semi-famous or semi-quote important as a politician, you get the bubble. And there's no getting out of it. And you're right. And, and you just don't really understand what it's like to be an average person anymore. That's a great point. Well, we're looking at a lot of numbers in these uh, martinis today. But if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem that a lot of growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers is their hodgepodge of business systems. 
They have one system for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory, and so on. And it's just a big, inefficient mess, taking up too much time and too many resources. And that hurts the bottom line. That's why we're pleased to introduce NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control that you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting, orders, and human resources instantly, right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com martini. That's netsuite.com martini to download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. One last time, it's netsuite.com martini. All right, let's get to martini number three. It's another crazy one. Speaking of needing people around him to tell him things, Joe Biden. Oh, man, this is going to be a train wreck, I think, worse than Hillary. I'm watching him in the debates, and Jim, he just seems old to me. Look, he's not that much older than Trump and Warren and Sanders, but he sure seems a lot older. He's like that grandfather you go to, and he's kind of slurring his words and shuffling a little bit, and he just keeps telling stories. He's telling stories about segregationists, and now he's telling stories about gay waiters, and it's getting him in trouble. So the last one was he was in Seattle at this fundraiser, and he's trying to show his gay bona fides here. He's saying, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of your big supporters, you know, and things are getting better. But five years ago, you could tell, you could mock a gay waiter and nobody would care. And everybody's like, wait, what? Really? Well, Jim, does he need some help here? What's going on? Yeah, five years ago, 2014 in Seattle, really? You know, um, he made a similar comment at a, I think it was the human rights campaign dinner earlier this year in which he said that uh, uh, six or seven years ago, which would take you back to about 2012, um, it was not unusual to see people mocking gay people in Washington, D.C. Uh, now, I'd point out, uh, Greg, that this, you, know, you go back to 2012. Back then, America had a president who opposed gay marriage. Yep named Barack Obama, uh, was, you know, by the middle of that year, he suddenly announced that, oh, goodness, I've suddenly decided that uh, there is a constitutional right to marry, that uh, this violates the Equal Protection Clause. Surprise, surprise. Well, he um, evolved. Many of us strongly suspected Obama always had supported gay marriage and simply lied about his position and, you know, at Saddleback Church and other venues because he, you know, thought that's the position he needed to take to win the presidency. Here's the thing with Biden. People who, you know, you can go back and read profiles going back for him for decades He's always been something of a BS artist. And there are a lot of people who half remember stories and they tweak the facts of a story to make themselves sound better than they do. And a little bit of a self-aggrandizing, let me tell you how great I am kind of story. You know, this, this is another it's aspect of politicians. You're very rarely around people who say, no, that did not happen. It did not happen the way you say, I'm calling BS on that. And the great irony is that this speech in Seattle, these, you know, the audience says, no, not in Seattle. Like they actually start pushing back and say, like when even the people who are donating to you don't believe your stories, you run into a serious problem. Yep, no doubt about it. And it's always a humble bragging story too. And he thinks it's super charming. And I think anybody who isn't a big supporter finds it really kind of annoying. Yeah, um, there was another case where he said that his father, when he was growing up in Delaware, driving down the street. I don't know if it was Dover or one of the other cities. He said he saw two men kissing and his father turned to him and said, Joey, they're just two men who love each other. 
And ever since then, Joe Biden has been fine with gays and lesbians. And I remember seeing that, like, so Joe Biden, this would be, you know, he got elected in the 70s. He was in his 20s then. So this would have been the 1950s Delaware, two men kissing in, I mean, is it, could it happen? I suppose. It certainly sounds pretty far-fetched. Would Biden's father have responded that way? I guess. But it's just one of those stories that sounds a little too perfect to be true. Biden is full of these kinds of stories where he gets the last word in an exchange or he has the the pithy, you know, look, we all like to believe this is who we are. <laughs> we all want to believe that we are the wittiest, the the smartest, the one who, who knows, the one who always has the, the perfect thing to say. And yet in our lives, it very rarely turns out that way. Um, and again, I think it's kind of, it's a, it's a personality tick of Biden that in past cycles and perhaps as Obama's, look, in, in when he was Obama's vice president, he was the wacky neighbor on the sitcom. Right. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the centerpiece of the show. He was there to make faces during the State of the Union and to occasionally say goofy things like big effing deal and, and all that kind of stuff. And you could enjoy that. Now he's the center show. He's the star of it, so to speak. And I don't know if all his personality traits translate as well as they do. Uh, and once again, in that, you know, in that political celebrity bubble, there's no one around who can say to Joe Biden, Mr. Vice President, you have to knock this off. This is going to derail your campaign. Well, I think he's going to be a lot of fun, but put me down as somebody saying there's no way he's winning this nomination. Mm, interesting. That, you know, that's, uh, that's a less crazy thing to say than probably a couple of days ago, but I uh, imagine there's some people who still disagree, but we will see, Greg. Yep. For the record, I said it a year ago, but you know, that's just me. All right. That was the three martini lunch. Uh, that is Jim Garrity, the senior political correspondent of National Review. Twitter handle at Jim Garrity. My name's Greg Knappen for Greg Columbus, GregoryBnapp.com. And my new podcast is at Apple Podcasts. Type in my name. It's not about politics. Hope you give it a listen. We enjoyed it and hope you enjoyed the martinis.